Hey, Crossroads friends, how is everybody? I hope you're doing well. It is Sunday, January 23rd. I just wanted to get back into the flow of things of uh, doing our lessons. Uh, as I shared with you last week, uh, it's been two months or so since I did our last lesson. So we want to pick it up here and continue to move forward. Last week was a very personal lesson that I talked about how my wife and I had to take care of my mother, the last month or so of her life uh, living with us. So, and it was very personal. I talked about honoring your father and mother and how that lesson talked about how we deal with uh, taking care of our parents when they're weak and feeble. And that those passages talk about us as adults, being adult, mature children dealing with that. So it was very personal and uh, I was kind of long-winded on that lesson, but uh, <laughs> I went, I probably went about 35 or 40 minutes, but anyway, that's where we're at. And now we're going to start getting into the book of Romans. Uh, this book or, or the letter of Paul to the Romans is a very personal uh, teaching for me as we go through this. We're going to talk about, I'm going to introduce the book uh, a little bit today, and the next time we'll talk about some of the themes and uh, uh, topics that Paul covers through it. It's a fundamental book for all Christians to understand how to live for Christ and how to live in Christ and as he lives in us, how we are to live. So it's very personal for me also because it has a a big part of my life about what that meant uh, when I gave my life to Christ and what that means now, even today. Um, over 40 years later, giving my life to Christ, uh, that that's, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, but where God has taught me, what he's taught me, where he's brought me, it's been amazing. So, but today we're going to talk about uh, Paul and his life and his journey and how God uses him. Have you ever thought to yourself, in this case, when we talk about the Bible, why does God choose that guy? Why did he choose Paul? Why did he choose anybody the way it was when you study their lives and when you look at it? I'll tell you a good one. And, and Paul uses Abraham in chapters four and five. He talks about Abraham and his life. Study Genesis 12 through 27, the life of Abraham and how God chose him to be the father of the nation, the Jewish people and and you see his life and, hey, Abraham didn't get it right, but you sure could see how God matured him and brought things into his life to grow his faith and to make him the strong man that he was. I mean, he finished the race well. And so um, we'll talk about him when we go through Romans. But with that said, I digress and move on. I always get off the topic, but I need to stay on point here. Why does God choose that guy? Why would he choose this? Why would he choose the Apostle Paul? You know, like, for example, in athletics, um, there have been a lot of like NFL uh, players, National Football League, the draft. There's been people who have been drafted for Major League Baseball. There have been people who have been drafted into the National Basketball Association. Why did those teams, that particular sport, why did they choose that particular player for their team? 
and all of the people that are the prognosticators and the people that are the experts, the sports experts, the the broad the sports broadcasters when they're saying this team, why did they pick that guy? Why didn't that team? Why didn't this particular team choose the player that was they needed the most? Why didn't they pick that guy? And and sometimes it's because maybe to fit a certain need on a team. Well, let me tell you something. God chose Paul and he chose him for the right reasons. He knew Paul. He knew what his makeup was and how he gifted him and how he used him in a way. And we're going to talk about that as we go through this. All right. But first, before we begin, I want to start with the word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for the time that we have here. Thank you for the privilege of these lessons as I teach. I pray that as I teach, that whoever it is that may be watching or listening, I pray that they will um, search the scriptures and search with great eagerness. I pray that they not cling to me, but cling to what your word says. And I pray that as I teach, I'm, I am transparent and people can see what I am teaching, that it's clear and I want to be uh, as, as uh, transparent as I can be as I teach. And I want to be understood and clear when I'm speaking. God, thank you for this time. We lift up the name of Christ, the name above all names by which men must be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul, and I've got that written up here, and I've also kind of introduced, I'll get to this toward the end, but here's some of the things we're going to go through when we get into the book of Romans, but Paul's life and his background. Paul's life and his background. The Apostle Paul was born in the city, which is called Tarsus, and he was born about 5 AD. So he was born right around the time that our Savior was born. Christ, they say, was born around sometime around uh, 4, I want to say 4 BC, was crucified around 29 BC. So pretty close in age. He was um, uh, born in, in AD 5 or 5 AD, keep it, say it like that. And Tarsus is a city that is, um, it's close to the border of modern day Turkey and Syria. Um, Asia Minor, if you look on uh, New Testament maps or in the back of your Bible, it'll be what they call Asia Minor. But it's obviously, it's right there close to the, the Mediterranean Sea and uh, in Turkey. Okay, so, but it's, it's real close. He was born to Jewish parents. He also had the claim of Roman citizenship. Uh, he was born into that. His parents had Roman citizenship. Um, but in his early childhood, he moved to the city of Jerusalem. And if you read about Paul in the book of Acts, he puts more emphasis on Jerusalem as that being his home. Uh, he begins studies in Hebrew scriptures <clears throat> under lack of a better way of saying it, <coughs> a legendary rabbi, Gamaliel, Gamaliel, uh, and he focused on the righteousness of law. And I looked up some things about Gamaliel, and and uh, he was he was he was revered and well respected. He was he was even though he was a Pharisee, and we think of Pharisees, we see how they were always in in the Gospels when they approached Christ, they were always looking to kind of be aggressive 
in asking Christ a lot of questions. Gamaliel was not necessarily that way. He seemed to be more peaceful, more cautious, more reserved, and he had a he had a certain he had a certain respect even for Christians. And and obviously when he understood and we we'll talk about this more as we get through this. He had to have a certain amount of respect for his former student, Paul, when he saw he'd given his life to Christ. So we'll talk about that more as we go through this. But but Gamaliel, his focus was on the righteousness of the law. And that's what he has. He taught through the Hebrew scriptures and he taught Paul. That's what the focus of in, in his studies here. Uh, many times Paul is referred to as the as uh, Saul of Tarsus. However, again, Paul indicates in, that Jerusalem is his home. And in, in Acts, Acts chapter 22, we'll see that uh, Paul, under uh, while he's at a hearing and he's given his defense before the Jews, in Acts 22, 3, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. And he goes in and talks about, he gives some of his biography about where he was at before Christ. He said, I persecuted this way, capital W, A Y, way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons has also, and has also the high priest and all the council, the elders can testify from them. I also received letters to the brethren, Christians also, brethren, and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were to, who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. I'm sorry, brethren there from them. I also received letters to the brethren right there. He starts off on his way to Damascus. And if you study or know anything about Paul, that's where he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He was blinded. Scales were over his eyes. He couldn't see. He didn't eat or drink. He didn't have anything for three days. That's where he met Christ on his way to Damascus. And that's what he talks about right there. But he, he, he obviously, he sees Jerusalem <clears throat> has his home and also his extended family, not just his parents, but he had a sister. And and the and and he had he had a nephew, for example, in in uh, Acts twenty three, verse sixteen. But the son of Paul's sister, Paul's nephew, heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, "Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him." His nephew, send my nephew to the to the. Um, to the commander, he has something to say. See, it's interesting. Paul is Jewish. He's also a Roman citizen, but he did not get treated as such simply because he was a part of the way. He was a Christian now, and so he and he was not going to let go of that. So he has extended family, parents, sister, nephew. They're in Jerusalem also. It should also be said that Paul was a brilliant scholar. This man was well-rounded. He was not only a brilliant scholar, studied the Hebrew scriptures, taught from the scriptures, 
He was also a tent maker. He had to make a living. As a matter of fact, we see that he became friends with a couple in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla, and they taught him the trade of tent making, and that's how he supported himself in what he went through and what he, what he dealt with. Paul is a Pharisee and a persecutor of Christians, but the Lord transformed Paul to be the preacher of the good news of Christ in the Greek and Roman world. Here's a man who is kosher. He's, he's clean. I mean, he's, he's all about, hey, I'm going to adhere and heed to the law, but yet God has other plans for him and sends him out into a, a Greek and Roman world. Gentile, Greek, barbarian all kinds just of, of lifestyles that are going on in that kind of area. And yet God chooses Paul to go. That's That to me is incredible how God uses people the way he does. As a matter of fact, he spoke of being a Hebrew. He spoke of being an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin in Philippians chapter three. Paul also had skills in dealing with Greek culture and the philosophies that came with it. Because of being a Roman citizen, he had escaped flogging. He appealed before, for a hearing before the emperor Nero. As a matter of fact, it's amazing to me the kind of authority that Paul had. Um, in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul, uh, when he was, when he was on the, the Damascus road and a fellow named Ananias, who's a, who is a disciple at Damascus, he receives a vision. And they tell, and, and the Lord tells him, he says, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Listen, here's Ananias. And Ananias is asking the right questions. He is. He's asking the right questions. Look what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Acts 9, verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And then the next verse, it says this. Ananias doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. He says, so Ananias departed and entered the house before laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Yeah, this confirms the Lord's call on Paul's life. Paul had tremendous authority. He was given, he was given a lot of, of different duties. He was probably, he may have been, uh, in all probability, he may have been a member of the Sanhedrin, which was like 70 members uh, who had studied the Hebrew scriptures. And, and like I said, they had a lot of authority from the chief priest. And they made a lot of ruling decisions. Or he could have been a judge on a tribunal, maybe three to five judges who dealt with various religious dissidents, such as people of the way, those people who were, who were Christians. That's what he, he may have been. He may have been a part of, of that in terms of the tribunal, or he might have been a part of the, of the Sanhedrin. I think it's interesting. You know, Paul, Paul could speak in Greek. He knew how to speak the language. He had all kinds of, of skills. God had obviously prepared him for this. He knew how to live among blue-collar people because of the trade that he had in tent-making, but he also knew how to talk with the Stoics and the Epicureans that were, that were in Athens, Thessalonica, and all these other places. You know, I think, I think one of, when I read Acts and I read what Paul went through, Acts 17 speaks to a time when he was, he was uh, there at the, at the Acropolis. And Acropolis is the highest point in a Greek city or village. And I've been there personally, I've been there and it is way up. And it talks about how he starts preaching to the Greeks. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to them like he would his own people, the, the Jews in his day. He could start with scripture and just start, start talking to them. He spoke to them in such a way. And he broke it down to where they could understand it. For example, here's, what I, here's, here's how he was at Mars Hill, that the Acropolis. Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's getting on to them about their idol worship. <clears throat> Something you have made in your own image, which by the way, leads into what the law says about we should not have anything made in a graven image. No idol worship, nothing like that. That's in the 10 commandments. He's using that and speaking that 
to the various people that are in Athens. And understand this too. Let me let me let me share this with you. The Acropolis is high up, and everything is going on down below. The bazaar, all the merchants, <clears throat> all the commercial stuff, the businesses, all of the transactions. So he's basically up on top and he's just speaking. He's probably shouting to where people can understand what he's saying. There's thousands of people there in Athens. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Who gives life? God. He's speaking common grace to the people. He's telling them that there is one God and he's given life to all people. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the creator of life. He brings all things. He counts, he counts the days of each man. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That tells us right there, from Adam came the nations. The 10 generations as we were teaching through uh, Genesis over the last year or two. From Adam to Seth, all the way down to Noah, 10 generations. And then Noah's sons, Japheth, Shem, and Ham. Here are the nations that we see in Genesis 10 through 11. Coming forward on the face of the earth. And then the empires that develop, the kingdoms that come from that, Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, let me back up, the Persians, then the Greeks, and the Romans. We see that playing out. That's what we see in scripture the different types of empires that are that are coming forward. And you know what? For a brief time, the, the Israelites ruled. King David and Solomon, I mean, they were at their zenith. They were at the height of all kinds of power and prosperity during that time frame. But the point is this. God gives them their appointed times and their appointed boundaries. He does. That is all God. God is in charge of those things, ultimately. And he made from all <clears throat> from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, that they would come after God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. In other words, just desperately cling to him and come to him and hang on to him. That's what Paul is talking about here is that that men and women would just come and just grasp him and hang on to him and keep him. For in him we live and move and exist, <clears throat> as even some of your own poets have said, for we, are, we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. It's not in my mind what God, God is spirit. 
I can't imagine what he's like. I can't. I can't. And he's definitely not to be made out of some natural element that I would bow down and worship him. Not at all. That's not what God is like. That's not what he wants. God is spirit. John talks about that, the apostle John, about how God is spirit. And he makes, he transforms us to come after him and pursue him. And it's all in the authority of his word. We are in his word. That's how we know him. That's how we grope for him is to be in his word. He stirs our hearts to know him. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, some passage, some, some other version may say, say that God winked at it, but he just overlooked it. These times of ignorance is now, God is now declaring to men that, to men that all people everywhere should repent in other words, what is keeping us from groping and coming after God? It's because we're, we're unrepentant. There is sin in us that separates us from who God is. Because he has fixed a day in which he, capital H, he will judge the world in righteousness through a, a man, capital M, man, whom he, capital H, has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He is, in simple terms, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's preaching that to thousands of people while he's up on top of this high point in the city of Athens. And he's preaching and he's sharing the gospel to them about who he, capital H, who he is, and that he is the, the man, capital M, the man, the God-man who is going to judge in righteousness. There's a fixed day. There is a day coming. Bible talks about the day of the Lord. Paul is talking about that. Now, let me finish in here. Verse 32 of Acts 17. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. They began to jeer him and laugh and mock him. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But when men, when, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. That means that he had a place in government. He might have been a senator. He might have been a city council member of Athens. I don't know, but he, had, he was a public government official, Dionysius and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. So, I, so out of the thousands, when Paul preached there in Athens, a handful of people gave their lives to Christ. Because here's what stirred Paul. He was looking around, and he was seeing all these idols, and all this idol worship. Because Athens is now the capital and, the, and, the, and one of the world empires, along with Rome, as far as not just merchandise, and transporting commerce and things of that nature, gold, silver, various uh, herbs and, and, and various, uh, 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 you know, vegetables and beef and, and all kinds of food 
and 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 all these these jewels and rubies that are being transported he's seeing idols that are formed and it just it just rubbed against his spirit and he had to speak out and preach <coughs> and share about God and speak to them in that way and he spoke to their language because he understood the culture they were living in now we don't see where a where Paul planted a church in that it was just a stopping ground. He was waiting on Silas and Timothy, and they were late coming to him. And because Corinth is not far from Athens, and Thessalonica is on up the road north uh, of there. And it might have been a point there where they, they had kind of a stopping ground, but I think he was on his way to Corinth, and Corinth is not very far from Athens. And so he just took that opportunity to preach the gospel. And a handful of people gave their lives to Christ. I, to me, his preaching right there, that spoke to me about it. He was a man who understood the culture. He understood the philosophies that people were living through. And he, he understood their day-to-day -day and what they were going through. And, what they, and he, so he's like, hey, okay, they don't know the law. They don't understand the, the, the law of Moses. They don't understand what the prophets have said. But I'm going to speak to them in such a way that I'm going to share with them that someone, there is a man, a God man who is coming, and he is going to judge that appointed time. And everybody's got to give an account for what they've done. And he, they, everybody must repent and turn from their wicked ways, turn from their sins. That, to me, is a powerful moment when I see that with Paul and what his life was like there. Man could speak Greek. He could make tents. He understood the culture, the Greek and Roman culture that was going on around him. I think that's, that's amazing to me. He, <clears throat> he traveled as far as the region of Illyricum or Illyria, which is modern day uh, Albania, Serbia, which is, which is uh, going west and north north and west of Athens and Greece. So he kind of knows what that's like and where that's at. And so, so it's, it's just really amazing. He, he talks about how he had preached and gone up that way and gone as far as Spain over a little bit further over in the Mediterranean. He had been over that way and seen that and what was taking place to me. It's, that is incredible. The kind of, um, you know, abilities that Paul had and how God used him for such a time as that and, and, and how he used him for that in that particular time frame. So here's what I want to share with you in finishing up. Here's my, here's, here's what you need to really think about. You're somebody you've given your life to Christ. What next? Well, let me tell you something. See what you're gifted at. What has what God gifted you to do to build up the body of Christ? What has he, what, what, because everybody, once you give your life to Christ, you have been enabled to do something. Whatever that might be teaching, whether it's a, a, a God's gifted you to be a servant, to serve, to, as serving or serve us to people. Maybe you're good at administration and leading in that way. Maybe you're good at, at evangelism and God has given you what we call a gift of the gift of prophecy where you speak the truth, but speak it in love and you and everything's black and white. Either you're in and you're pursuing the Lord or you're not. 
or maybe you have the gift of, of uh, encouragement where you want to see people stimulated to grow in Christ. You want to motivate, you want God is going to use you to motivate people to come to him and pursue him. Or maybe he's given you the gift of teaching. This is what it means to pursue Christ. And here's how you do that. That's what we're talking about here when we get into this. So, so let me say that as we talk more about Romans and what, <clears throat> you know, how God is going to use you. We'll talk about Paul's life a little bit more as we go through this. But remember, as we study the book of Romans, 16 chapters, I'm keeping it simple here, S all the way through. Romans chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3, Paul basically, he's telling, he's saying that, okay, Jew, you're not where you ought to be with the Lord. Gentile, you're not where you ought to be with the Lord. You need to repent and give your life to God. Because everybody has been born in sin. Everybody has, has fallen short of the glory of God. We have. We've missed that. We've missed the mark. Every person, Jew, Gentile, whatever it may be, whatever background you come from, everybody has been born in sin. What is the remedy? The diagnosis. <clears throat> How do we take care of that? Salvation. Christ. Romans 4 through 5, we have been justified. We have been made right through Christ. And this is where he talks about Abraham and faith. And he talks about David a little bit in, in chapter 4 and how, how there is no condemnation. We, have been, we were once at war with God. Now we are at peace with God. We are in him. We've been brought to him. We've been made right right here. Sanctification. God has set us apart. He is saving us. He, we are, we were saved. Jesus paid the penalty. <coughs> right here, sanctification. We've been set apart. We are being saved. We are being saved. I've been saved from the, the penalty of sin. Now I'm being saved from the power of sin. Now this is really good because we're not talking about sinlessness. We're not talking about sinless perfection or perfectionism, or anything like that, we're talking about right here, we see that now, hey, I'm, I, you know, how I, how I conduct myself, my actions, my speech, my conduct, everything about that, now God is changing that. I am being transformed. I was transformed. I am being transformed. I will be transformed in the future. So this talks a lot about these kind of kind of piggyback off one another in terms of our salvation, salvation and sanctification. How do we live this life that is in Christ? Sanctification, sovereignty. God is in charge. God is in charge of all things, everything. We'll talk about that in Romans 9 through 11. Yeah, the, the tension there. I have responsibility, but God is also in charge of these things. And that tension kind of runs like this. It's parallel, but it run, It has to be, but it runs together and it's knitted together. God is in charge, sovereignty. We'll talk about that as we go through this in Romans 9 through 11. And then service. God has set us apart for service and how we live. And he talks about various things that people have to work through. About a, a brother that is maybe is not as far along in his walk with Christ, how do we help him and encourage him? That's what this talks about here in Romans 12 through 16. There's a lot to cover. 
And you thought I took a long time going through Genesis? I may take longer going through the book of Romans, 16 chapters. There's a lot there to cover. I want something to think about. Being a bond servant. That's what Paul talks about here. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Man, what is a bond servant? A bond servant. We'll talk about that as we get into this. Let me read. We'll get into Romans 1. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 1 1, a bond servant. We'll talk about that more as we get into this study. We'll talk about that next time. Hey, may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do. Uh, I pray that you'll continue to search out the word and scripture as we go through this. I always want to end <clears throat> with this one passage as we go through. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, which glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Search the scripture daily with great eagerness and excitement. Come after him. Please test what I'm saying. Always seek it out. Don't take my word for it. Always be looking to God. God is the authority for all things. Hey, until next time, Maranatha.